Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The loud frequency coming from your radio is not a mistake. Do not turn off your radio, but instead turn up your radio as loud as it can go. Do this so we can broadcast this frequency as loud as possible. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Welcome to another episode of Game Stuff. I'm your gaming gal, Kalai, and with me today is Roberto. What's up, Roberto? Looking good, feeling good. And with me today is the Canadian Corey. What's up, Corey? Not much, just, you know, sitting up in the north. Uh, yes, it's not snowing outside. Uh, there is sun. Um, I do have to keep my feeding my beavers some water. They do get dehydrated in this type of weather, but, you know, we're doing good. You gotta moisturize your beaver. Well, I mean, you got to keep that moist. I mean, you know, it's just like real life. You yeah. just got to shampoo it, keep it moisturized, makes it nice and fluffy. You don't want that thing getting all curly and getting tangled in things. You ever tried to remove a beaver from a like from a fence after it gets stuck? And it, all all that happens is everyone gets whacked. Okay, and joining us, we have a special guest for this episode number 150. We are joined by Patrick Hickey Jr. himself. He is the creator for the... Uh, uh, but minds behind the video games, interviews with different developers. How are you today, Patrick? I'm doing very good, Kali. Happy to be here. Oh, yeah. All right. How you guys doing? Happy to be here. And we're happy to have you. So awesome. let's get our podcast started. Um, but uh, before we do that, for anybody that is new to our show, we are a conversational podcast for gamers, by gamers, about gaming. This week's topic of the show is we're actually going to be talking about sports games and if they become too realistic in today's society. But before we get started, let's find out what everybody's been playing. And Patrick, you're our guest, so what have you been playing this week? Um, I've been playing mostly um, the Outer Worlds on the Nintendo Switch. Um, that's kind of like my preferred um, game as of right now that I have to finish. Um Runs like now, crap on I, the Switch, but you know, whatever. You answered my question. I was about to ask you that because I played it on the Xbox. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll put it this way so, like, my character um, is very quick and uses um, melee weapons, like, prefer- preferably. And um, there are times when I'm running through the terrain and the the environments around me have to kind of like finish loading. So it's kind of distracting. Um, combat isn't nearly as polished as, like, say, a Fallout New Vegas, which isn't saying much. Um, but um, I definitely think it. I haven't played it on any other consoles because I was waiting for it for Switch because um, I wanted to kind of, you know, give Nintendo the benefit of the doubt and see how they did with it. But um, it's definitely not a bad game. It's probably one of my favorite games on the Switch, but performance wise it definitely leaves something to uh, be desired at certain parts but i mean it's so hard to, to deny how solid the story is in that game so that's kind of like what keeps me coming back for those 25 30 minute gameplay chunks yeah and there's different endings yeah it's so much fun i'm like such a good guy in the game like i don't do anything bad and i have a friend that's in the military that's beat the game and like gotten like every single ending and played the game in so many different ways and i'm just like yeah if i didn't have kids i could totally do that but yeah now definitely not well i played the game and so did my husband and i was like what ending did you get 
Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I didn't get that ending. So. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Have you been playing anything else? Um, yeah, I mean, I play. I probably play anywhere from about ten to fifteen different games a day on my uh, RG uh, three fifty. So uh, I was playing some Legendary Axe today. I was playing some RBI Baseball. I was playing some NFL Game Day ninety eight. Some NHL Face Off two thousand one. So all sorts of different things I was playing today. But and that's when my son is sleeping. I'll get like a ten minute game, uh, ten minute gaming session in. Like if, if I'm, you know, by myself for a couple of minutes, you know, work. Working from home and COVID has kind of like changed my entire uh, like gaming structure. I used to take the bus to work and I'd have like an hour and a half like each way to play. And then in between classes, I would be able to play because I'm a college professor. So, I mean, it would just be great to just play, you know, Pokemon Sword and Shield during that time. But now it's it's very different. So, yeah, the, the best thing about Outer Worlds is that you can save it pretty much any point. So that's probably, you know, I'm playing, I'm killing all these people. And then my wife is like, can you, can you change your son? And I'll be like, all right, save, <laughs> shut it off. Then, and then I, I'll end up coming back like two or three days later. And the same thing with the RG350. Most of the emulators have like that save state function and you can just save the state, shut it off, and then come back a couple of days later. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of like how I game. That's cool. Uh, so, Roberta, what have you been playing? Uh, where do I even begin? Um, well, fortunately, I've been starting to play more stuff now. Um, the first game is Peaky Blinders Mastermind. Oh, yeah, that's the new one based off the show. Yeah, it's uh, not bad. It's definitely a different kind of game. And uh, it's definitely a... Uh, it's a more like a time manipulator puzzle-solving that type of game. There hasn't really been anything like involving violence or anything, at least not yet. Um, I haven't really picked up on anything like that. So, um, it's uh, not bad. It's actually pretty good with the music and the visuals and kind of putting you into the world of the show. And, and uh, not too much I can say about it right now. I mean, it's, it's kind of, um, it's kind of, you know, uh, just, just like ten. It's twelve levels. It's has kind of interesting surprises here and there. Like you have to manipulate time to try and make sure you can time everything right. Like because you're trying to go in and steal things without like setting off a shot or anything like that. So it's pretty neat. That's cool. Have you been playing anything else? Uh, well, uh, there's there's these two Neo Geo Pocket video games that were picked that were. Uploaded to the eShop. They were King of Fighters R2 and Samurai Showdown Pocket Edition. So thanks to some guys at Home Run PR, I got a chance to play those. And they were actually pretty good. Definitely much more difficult than expected, but nonetheless, uh, quite enjoyable. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, for context, the, the two games that were released on the Neo Geo back in two, Pocket back in the 1990s, and the, and the idea was to bring the excitement of the King of Fighters games and Samurai Jet Showdown into a portable realm, and it was actually really good. It used only two buttons and the analog stick, but it was actually pretty effective with the presentation, the music, and all that. Uh, so they decided to re-release it for the Switch, and the only drawback is you can't maximize the screen, so the screen's kind of tiny, but um, otherwise everything else about it is pretty good. Oh, I hate that. You know, it's because I'm getting older. I can't see as well. Right. Um, Good old collide, just aging yourself every day. I remember when the games were two colors. 
Yeah. Hey. Yeah, that's true. So, um, in any case, uh, yeah, pretty good stuff. I mean, it's only like five or six bucks, and um, it's uh, pretty neat. So then the next thing would have to be um, – what did I play earlier today? I pl- started playing a uh, – oh, super hot mind control delete. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's I mean, actually really good. That's cool. Yeah, like has anyone like heard of Super Hot or no? Yeah, Super Hot, Super Sweet. I mean, it's it's one of the games that makes me want to buy a VR system. That's for sure. I mean, I know I can play the non VR version of Super Hot, but I mean, then it's not Super Hot. It's just hot game. Right. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty cool. <laughs> Um, it's so it's like, honest, it's, it takes the base game and, and, and magnifies it to be something a little bit more impressive with new weapons and new, uh, challenges, new little hacks and things like that. So it's actually really neat. It's, uh, there's not too much of story. It's all about gameplay, but the visuals, the sound, the sound, the gameplay, it's all where it's supposed to be. So if you like the other super hots, definitely it's worth uh, checking this one out. That's I have to play Super Hot. It's on my list. I have it. What? Claw, you haven't played Super Hot? It's like literally an hour and a half to beat the game. I thought you'd be like slamming that out. Be like, here, let me just take an hour. And, a- and you have an Oculus. You have the best way to play this game, too. I know, but I don't think I actually have the VR version of it because I actually got a free copy in a contest. So, but I think I have the non-VR. It, the hot is, it on PS- is it on PS4? Is it on... Oh, I guess, yeah, because technically the VR version didn't... I, if I'm correct, though, uh, I can't remember with Steam, preferably, but I do know that one of the versions on PC uh, did have it where they upgraded it for free to, to VR because it was one of those things where it moved into it, whereas the console version of it, you have to buy the VR version or the non-VR version. Well, yes, but I think I have it on the Epic Game Store. Oh. Yeah. Well, then. Well, then. Yeah. Then you just need to, I mean, take that negative one. I might have to. We'll see. Well, technically, you already own it. So technically, you are not, you're not re- No, I mean, yeah, I am, I am rebuying it. I'm just going to take the minus one, and we're going to move on from that. Okay. Uh, are you done, Roberto? That's pretty much it. Um, there's a few others I still got to start on, but not enough to talk about yet. But uh, okay. yeah, otherwise, a uh, good deal. All right. What about you, Corey? Have you been playing anything fun? I mean, I did have to go on a little bit of a trip, so I didn't get to play too much. But uh, during that time, um, I did play some Need for Speed Heat because uh, my nephew got it. And he's like, I need to like, he's like, let me show me how it's done. And then I'm like, let me get my my little 88 bug out, uh, mod the shit out of it. And then let's go do some dirt races in a bug that doesn't look like it should go any faster than it does. And then I just school super hot supercars with this bug. I can't say enough about that game. I mean, pretty much it's the best Need for Speed that's been made so far. Um, it's it's pretty fun. I've already beat it. Um, I am going to platinum it. But if you guys want to hear my rant about how much I hate police in that game and how EA needs to stop being such a dickbag, um, you can uh, <laughs> you can uh, listen to like 20-something episodes ago where I have a huge rant on how EA needs to stop doing everything to force the player into microtransactions and bullshit like that so um good old good job ea you know keeping the microtran world alive 
dicks. Um, anyway, uh, other game. Um, I mean, obviously, Fall Guys. Who hasn't played Fall Guys? I mean, hopefully, no one. Um, I know everyone here, I think, has played it except for Kalai. Shame on you, Kalai. Not me yet. And then my, my modem what? at my house is, is burned out, so I have to wait till Comcast replaces it, so I haven't done it. Patrick, if you please, please tell me, Patrick, you've played Fall Guys. No, I've been, I've been too busy um, <laughs> writing books and doing voiceover and stuff like that. So, oh, okay. So, well, would that's... you like to revise that statement to "I'm the only one that's played Fall Guys"? So, yeah, I guess I'm I've, the only one. Yeah, I, I guess see, I'm the only. One. Well, see, Patrick has a good reason. Okay, Patrick has a good reason. It's been out for two weeks, so Kali, you have no, you know, reason. I know Roberto's been busy. So I'll give him the slight pass, but yeah, Kalai, you have no you you just need to turn on your PlayStation. Let it warm up every once in a while. Stop letting turn it collect your dust. PlayStation, Kalai, turn it on. Anyway, Fall Guys, for those who don't know, is like a pretty amazing game. It's basically like the old Japanese game shows, just with a battle royale version of it. I never thought I would like a battle royale version like this game, but this game is super addicting. Um it, for, you just have to play it to understand it. I can't explain it too much because it's just you need to play it. And th- with the developers being so, uh, like, if you guys want to follow, like, the 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 Fall Guys Twitter is like the new Wendy's Twitter. It, it's 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 he's just savage. He he is out there. He's he's talking about removing Yellow Team and like, it's 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 pretty crazy. They're, they they had a donation contest to see who could donate enough money. The highest donation would get their own costume put into the game. And yeah, it's, it, it was, it was hilarious. But um, other than that, I uh, picked up uh, on the sale that we just had on PlayStation uh, plants versus zombies uh, neighborville, uh, which is actually pretty good. I mean, I've played the old plant versus zombie games. It's pretty, pretty much just the exact same thing. Just a newer version. Um, it's fun. Uh, it's just like every other Plants vs. Zombie games. It's just like good old EA. You know, the good old, hey, let's just add a new feature and slap a sticker on it and call it new. Um, but you know. Uh, other than that, uh, I did play Spyro 2. And, uh, after this recording, I am literally onto the last boss. I'm gonna beat that so that I can stop being in the negatives for the Batlock beatdown that we're currently having. Um, which, if you guys don't know what that is, uh, you're going to have to listen to another episode. Not this one, because we're not going to tell you about it. Uh, or you go to Backlog Beatdown on the Facebook group and join that, and then we'll you can learn all about it. But uh, other than that, Kalai, what have you been playing this week? I've been in a co-op mood. So, of course, our good listener, Levi, uh, got in touch with me and was like, we got to play Man of Madon. I was like, okay. So we started f- Friday night, and we were going to only play for like 90 minutes. Of course, yeah. Three- yeah, like two hours, two and a half, three hours later. Um, you beat we, the game. No, actually, we didn't. What? Um, you didn't, didn't? You actually stopped? We had to stop because he had stuff oh. to do. And then the next day we got together and we beat the game. And then I liked the game so much, I redownloaded it on Xbox and played the entire game Saturday night with Jim. Yeah, it's it's one of those games where, in all honesty... Um... Like when me and Joe played it, Joe, Joe and we started like, I don't know if Joe, I know we explained a little bit of like us playing the game, but we started this at midnight J- Joe's time. Like it was because, you know, there's a three hour difference between us. So I think it was 10 o'clock my time, one o'clock for Joe. And Joe's like, yeah, we'll just play an hour and then we'll put it down and then we'll continue it tomorrow. Yeah. Four hours later, we finally, Joe's like, yeah, I need to go to bed. It's like four o'clock in the morning and we had just finished it and he was still wanting to continue playing to like 
beat this thing, like to to get it so we could save everyone. Lucky enough, he like screwed up and deleted the save, so we couldn't do it. But it was still that thing where that that game is so gripping that yeah, absolutely. you just can't stop. And and uh, like I know with Kalai, when you played with Levi, like you t- gave me a little pointers. But you played both times with the uh, cooperative mode where you guys both play on your own consoles. Now, you didn't talk to anyone through that. Um, did you find that, especially like uh, doing two different playthroughs, that it changed? Like every experience was different. It wasn't like it was just the same game and you're just playing the same way. I thought it was going to be totally It was always going to be the same. And when I played it, I was like, what is going on? And it started things started to fall into place for me. And yeah. the, fir- the first playthrough through, one of the characters gets separated from the group. The second playthrough, she stayed together, so I got a whole new cutscene branching. So I was like, yeah. Oh. So it was it was a lot of fun. If you have this or you, you, you don't have this, just you need to get it. You need to get it. Roberto, man, you got to get this and play. I'd love one of you guys to play with Roberto. Well, well, we need Roberto to play uh, listening to previous episodes after the last little while. Um, I, I'm amazed we've dropped the thing of Roberto needs to beat Kingdom Hearts 3 and The Last of Us, but that's okay. I will let Roberto play Mamma Dan over Kingdom Hearts 3 and The Last of Us because that game needs to be played. And especially because, Roberto, you're such a big th- film guy, I think this game will really like hit a hit a thing with you for sure. And I, yeah, me and Joe, I, I me and Joe will definitely be willing to play it again. Well, the other thing so. is also that I have to play the Batman Arkham games, and that's you know after everything we saw this weekend, I I really need to get started on those. No, don't 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 do that. That's a that's a dark slope. That is a dark slope to go down because you're, if you want to play them in <laughs> order, there's a certain order to them. If you want to play them right a certain way, Asylum, there's a certain order. Zinni, um, Origins, Blackgate, Night. No, 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 no. It goes Origins first, then you go Arkham, then City. I'm going to do chronological order, because that's, you know, that's that's how everyone else experienced it. I know that, like, Star Wars has, like, you watch episode two first, and then you watch episode one, then you watch episode, like, six or something like that, and I'm just like, no, no, I don't do that. (laughs) Well, the, the, the reason why I say that is because the problem when you play it chronologically is that Origins is not made by Rocksteady. It's a different developer that made it, so it's not technically part of the Arkham series. So it's a completely different game. Yeah, don't even play Origins. You don't even need to play yeah, Origins. Yeah, Origins is technically not even part of the Arkham uh, series. It's just a game that got thrown in there. So technically, if you dodge Origins, then you go Arkham uh, City, and then you go Night, and you just... That's, that's all you need to play. Yeah. All right. The other thing, of course, I played more Borderlands. Yay, Borderlands! Because you know. Did you see the new DLC? Did you see the trailer for the new DLC, Kali? Oh, I'm so ready. Please tell me I you have, saw the trailer. I haven't gotten Why? to the. I haven't gotten to any of the DLC because I played what? it once. I played it on the Xbox. I rushed through the play through the Xbox because I really wanted to play on my PC, and now I'm playing it on my PC, and that's where I'm going to do all the DLC. So, but, but how many hours do you put into this game, and you're not into DLC yet? A lot of hours, a lot of hours, because I think I'm gonna 100% it on PC. You're, you know what? Like the idea that you haven't seen, like, oh man, the DLC in this game, especially the newest one, is, oh, I can't now. I can't say anything. All right, I'll I'm, look at the trailer afterwards. How's that sound? It's worse for me. Yeah, so that's pretty much what I've been playing because I've been really busy. But let's talk 
to our guest Patrick and um so that way you our listeners can get to know him better. So Patrick. Yes. Who is Patrick Hickey Jr.? Who? How would you describe yourself to our to our listeners? Uh, the God of Thunder, the Caucasian sensation. Um, <laughs> what else? What else? What else? The man bold enough to marry an Italian woman from Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, where all the mafia movies take place and still survive. Um, so my name is obviously Patrick Hickey Jr. I am the author of the Minds Behind the Games book series. I am a full-time college professor. Um, I am the assistant director of the journalism program at Kingsborough Community College. I am the editor-in-chief of ReviewFix.com. Um, I am a staff writer at Old School Gamer Magazine. I'm a former editor at NBC. Um, I love video games. I own over 3,000 video games. Um, I've been writing about video games for about 15 years. Um, I've been working in the video game industry as a writer and voice actor for about three. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much like my my backstory. Um, I've I've read a lot of video game books over the years, and I just felt like there were some really great ones, and there were some really crappy ones, and there was a lot of ones that were like so close to being great. And um, I just felt like before my first child was born that um, I should take a crack at it and try and do one, and I did, and it did. It did super well. It's the minds behind the games. And then I got signed to a uh, a three-book deal after that. So all three of those books are finished. Uh, one of them is out. The next uh, Minds Behind the Sports Games is coming out in a couple of weeks. Then uh, the Minds Behind the Shooter Games is coming out uh, probably in December or January. And now I'm wrapping up the uh, Minds Behind the Sega Genesis Games and the Minds Behind the Sony PlayStation Games. So my books are oh, different. Oh, boy. My books are different from the average video game book in the fact that, like, they're primarily driven by developer interview. I do not, they're not written in a QA style, but they're not written in a my opinion matters more than yours type of mode. It's not the 100 greatest games. It's not an omnibus reference book. There's millions of those out. Um, it's basically me setting the scene in the beginning providing context what is what is this game historically how many copies did it sell what did it influence why is it important and then it's me taking you through the development process and the person that i'm speaking to their life in gaming how they got into gaming the games that they played so it's um it's a lot of reporting it's a lot of in-depth reporting and it's different in the fact that there's a couple of books out that try and do the same things that i do but they have uh anonymous sources and things like that i have no anonymous sources in my book um i don't change any of the names of any of the people um i don't change any of the narrative to make it more interesting there's actually a couple really good books out there that if you read the introduction they say oh some of the events have been changed and i'm like what oh my god so as a journalist for over a decade i would never do that so it's kind of been my intention over the past couple of years to try and tell as many of these stories as possible to try and debunk a lot of the nonsense that's on like reddit and wikipedia and people know so little about the games that they love and it's just something that i felt like needed to change so it's kind of become one of my my missions in life so to speak so patrick have you ever thought about um like i mean uh, you, nowadays you see all the time i mean i'm sure you've seen like there's high score and these other type of like netflix uh or straight to video or youtube uh shows doing kind of like you know video game history kind of idea have you ever mm -hmm. thought about 
moving your books into the side of going into that uh, video route? Or is it always going to be kind of the book side that really gets you kind of your bread and butter? So, I mean, I've been working on these books like longer than High Score just came out. It was in production for like two years. I've been writing these books for for four, you know, so it's like, yeah, um, I'm a writer. I've always been a writer. Um, it's always been my intention to get these books in as many libraries as possible. Right now, it's in over 100 libraries around the world. It's in like UCLA's library, uh, USC, uh, Michigan, Penn State, Stanford, NYU, you know, the New York Public Library, the Chicago Public Library, the San Francisco Public Library. So it's like, I want, I want people to read. Because um, that's the thing, too. A lot of, um, there's a lot of great documentaries out there. Um, the one that immediately comes to mind is like Atari Game Over. Um, yeah. I love that documentary. I've watched it dozens of times. But after speaking to Howard Scott Warshaw and interviewing him about all of the games that he developed for over like nine, ten hours, I could tell you that like that documentary, as cool as it is, only glosses over like his career. It only gives you like a tiny piece of his career. So my goal is to like let people know the as much of the story as possible and not what has to be edited down into like an hour and a half like man manageable chunk so that's the best thing about my book is that like after i wrote the first book i kind of said to myself like holy shit and my wife was like what's the matter and i'm just like i put everything into that book like there was not like one quote that i was like hey you know what nobody needs to know that so it's like after i wrote the book Instead of feeling great about it because I was proud of it, I felt like, wow. So, like, I thought I was special because I knew all of this stuff, but I just put this all in the book. So, like, the only way for me to, like, feel like I'm, like, this gaming historian, this person that's trying to preserve the history of the medium is if I go out and write another book, you know? So, it's like, I feel like I could do so much more with the material um if i write a book so it's like yeah you could watch like you know all the episodes of of all of these netflix shows and stuff like that mm. and you'll know a lot but you won't know nearly as much as if, unless you you read my books you know well, um, I mean, that, that, that's the big thing i noticed too is with when you talk to a lot of people in general and I'm, i mean i've been a, a as kali likes to know and roberto and all those guys i'm quite a talker mm-hmm. um and one you thing are? One one thing I've learned over the years is that if you just sit there sometimes in like uh, like I used to sell insurance. And mm-hmm. um, one thing I learned is that you wouldn't believe the stories if you just let someone go. Yeah. And you just let them talk. The amount of things you can learn. Like I never was a farmer. I, I've never been a machinist. I've never been any of that. But from listening to someone, I could probably tell you how to farm. I might not be right, but it's because you're able to just take that information you get from people. And if you can just like people don't understand, you just let someone go, um, especially in this day and age. Everyone's so busy with time, right? Everyone's like, oh, we only have this much time to do something. I find mm-hmm. if you really can get someone in there uninterrupted time, you can learn the world. And I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think it's like to learn that, right? One of the reasons why I got into the video game industry after the first book came out is because I had just sit and listen to so many great people talking about so many different things related to this industry. So then when I, when I had an opportunity to do some, you know, story editing and then later some voice acting, it was just like, people were like, this is the first game you're working on. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, but you know how to write a design document. Like, you know, you know how to like, you know, stay on track and you don't make excuses and, and you're willing to stay up until four o'clock in the morning and da, 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 da. And I was just like, well, that's 
we're crunch. We're, we're in crunch. This is what we have to do, you know? And they were just like, wow, everyone on their first game is always bitching and moaning and you're just, you're totally down for it. And it was just because I heard so many stories from so many other people, you know? So uh, you're absolutely right. So my next question is, when did you realize you wanted to be a writer? Um, I was kind of always like a nerd in denial. Um, so I'm six foot four and, um, I played baseball in high school. I played basketball in high school. I played hockey in high school and, um, I was always like the jock, but like during my lunch break, I worked in the library and I read sports illustrated and I read wrestling magazines and I I read all the stuff, video game magazines and all the stuff that I was interested in. And I just amassed like this, all, you know, this encyclopedic amount of like useless knowledge that I thought, at least at that time, I thought it was useless. And um, by the time I was like 18, I was going to take a year off and uh, try and apply to like a Division II hockey program, like anywhere. I was going to try and walk on to like a Division II hockey program. And I my goal was to play professional hockey. That's what I wanted to do. And then um, I got in a car accident. And, um, I messed up my back and my neck pretty bad and I put on some weight. So like the hockey career was kind of like out the window. So it was kind of like, what do I do? And, um, my dad was basically like, you're either going to go to school or you're going to be homeless. And I was like, I guess I'm going to school. Um, so, um, (laughs) Like a week later, I enrolled in college, and the first person I ended up speaking to was like the head of the journalism program at, um, ironically, the college that I teach at now. Um, and uh, he was just like, Why don't you see if you could become a sports writer? So I ended up becoming the editor in chief of that paper, and then I, I got my associate's degree there. And then I went to another college and I got my bachelor's, and I got my, and I was the editor in chief of that college newspaper. Then I went to graduate school. And, um, I wrote for every magazine, every newspaper that would have me. I started sites. I wrote for sites. I did everything that I, so by the time I was like 24, 25, I'd already written for like 35 websites and newspapers and magazines and stuff. And then, uh, wow, that's a lot. Yeah. And by the time I was, uh, done with graduate school, I had covered like three years of minor league baseball and minor league hockey. I'd gone on the road with teams and, uh, I was just having a ton of fun. Then I started review fix. So I started covering entertainment and writing sports at the same time. So it was just kind of like, I just adapted once my, once I knew I wasn't going to be, you know, an athlete, I just, I jumped into writing. And then by the time I got to NBC, um, the first year that I was at NBC, I did mostly like general reporting and I was bored to death. And, um, I told my, my boss at the time, I'm like, we were like in the bathroom and, um, you know, I was like washing my hands and I'm like, can I talk to you for a second? He's like, yeah, sure. You know? And I was just like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to like leave. I'm like, I don't want to work here anymore. And he's like, why you're great. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm just bored. And he's like, well, what do you want to write about? And I'm like, well, Scott, Scott, the, the entertainment editor, I was like, um, Scott said that he needed somebody to cover, um, Epic Mickey two, And I know all about the first game. And I'm like, I also, there's a game coming out for PS3. Um, it's going to be out like in a year called The Last of Us. And I can get an interview with Neil Druckmann and we could cover that. It's going to be a great game. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, yeah, if that's what you want to do, do it. If it doesn't get any traffic, then I guess like, you know, if you want to leave, you can. Blah, blah, blah. And so I ended up doing like an Epic Mickey feature and a Last of Us feature. And then I, it worked out that like during The Last of Us playthrough, the team for God of War Ascension was there. 
and I interviewed them too. And then those articles just got a ton of traffic. And then NBC was basically like, yeah, we're just going to let this guy write about like fantasy football, video games and Saturday Night Live. So like the next like year and a half that I was at NBC, I had so much fun and I made so many great contacts. And by the time um, I was ready to get married, um, I knew that I was going to focus mainly on like video game writing. And then I got married and I left NBC and I got a full-time teaching position, which is great. It's like, you know, four days a week, you know, great insurance, security. So now I have a full-time job and I have all of this time to write. So my wife got pregnant and then I decided to write the book. So I like how you just, you sat there and you said, well, I had all this free time. So my wife got pregnant. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Well, that's what happened. No, I was, I was, I was just writing, you know, making a wife pregnant and uh, being a teacher. All at the same time. <laughs> that's a, as long as you weren't just, making yeah. her pregnant while you were teaching. Absolutely. <laughs> just incredibly convenient right there. <laughs> yep. So, um, so like to answer your question, it was just like, I've always loved video games and I've always loved writing. It's just, I had to kind of like, I don't want to say be cornered into it because I think, I think eventually I would have gotten to writing. It's just because of the injury that I sustained. Um, I had to write. It was either, it was that or, or nothing else at that time. There was like nothing else that I could do. So I just put everything that I had into like developing my writing and reporting skills. And it just worked out at really, it worked out in the best way possible. All right. So uh, talk us through the process of writing a mind behind the games book. Um, so the way the first book started off was like super organic. I was just kind of sitting in my man cave and I was surrounded by games and I'm just like, I know who created these games, but I'm like, the average person does not. I'm like, there's something wrong with the average gamer that like I have to try and like fix or at least get them to realize. So this way they like come into my work with a clear head and they accept it and they want to engage with it. So it's like, Kali, if I ask you who wrote Romeo and Juliet, what's the answer to that? Um, Kali ran away, but uh, William Shakespeare. Great. So now if I ask you uh, who sings uh, Thriller? Michael Jackson. Or if you're really cool, you say Fall Out Boy because that, I mean, that, that version of that, that song Thriller by Fall Out Boy is awesome. But anyway, so you know, you know these things. These are like classics of like pop culture. But if I say who created Grand Theft Auto, what do you say? Rockstar. Rockstar. Yeah. Why? Video games are the highest grossing form of pop culture in the entire world. Why do, unless it's like David Jaffe or Kojima or David Crane, you know, we don't know who created these games. We don't know like what was going on in their mind, you know? So basically what happened was I was sitting in my man cave and I just started pulling out games. So I pulled out like Toe Jam and Earl, King's Bounty, um, E.T., um nhl 94 just like these games that had a had a huge impact on me as a kid um mutant league football and i'm just like i know who created these games deus ex i'm like i know who created these games i'm gonna reach out to these people i'm gonna see if they if i can interview them and if i get like half of these people to get back to me i think i'll have enough to like pitch a book so this was like october this was halloween of 2016 so within a week, all six or seven got back to me and they all said yes. So I was like, holy crap, this is like, this is an omen, you know? 
So by Thanksgiving, I had written all of like the seven chapters and I started pitching publishers. And three days later, so we're talking Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, the Monday after Thanksgiving, eight o'clock in the morning, I get an email from a publisher and they're like, yeah, we're down. Like, let's do this. They're like, but you have like seven games so far. We need this book to be like at least a hundred thousand words. So you're if if like each chapter is the length that you've given us, you're gonna need about twenty three to like twenty five games to get to a hundred thousand words. So I'm like, holy shit, this is gonna be super hard, you know. Um, I ended up with thirty six games for the first book. Um, it worked out great. I was super proud of the first book. But then what happened was since I I uh I pitched so many developers, like after the first book came out, people started getting back to me that I wasn't expecting. And that's how I started with like the sequels and stuff. But it it started off like with just what are some developers that I want to talk to that I think have interesting stories that not only have a place in video game history, but also can connect like a young developer like with the world that like somebody that wants to make games, they could read this person's story and go, Oh my God, this is what I want to do. This is what I have to expect. Or can this person just tell an interesting story? Because like my primary audience is people that like video games. My other, my other prime area is people that want to develop video games. But then there's a, another cross section of people that just want to read interesting stories about cool people. So every chapter kind of has to have like all three of those things. What's like, what's the importance in video game history? How does the, how does the person reading this get a better look on what goes on behind the scenes in the, in the video game industry? And lastly, like, why is this person cool? That's being profiled. Like, what did they do? Like, why are they memorable? So that's kind of how like the book is put together. That's how like each chapter is put together. So how did you, yeah. Cause it's really neat that you talk about the idea and, I mean, this is something that I think only it's an interesting thing that you see, like you say, you talk about video games, the love of video games. The one thing that I've found for years is uh, video games are the one type or or just nerd fandom in general. Uh, It's the one type of fandom where people that are usually at the head of it are willing to share their experiences with the people below them. And it's very weird that usually in other industries, you don't see that. Um, Like you say, you reached out as a person that's just just starting to write a book and you're like hey these developers these developers these developers like i just want i'm writing this book can i interview you and it's it's really neat to see that you were able to get this list like with not having any i mean obviously you have a background and you have that little bit of stuff to say hey i've done this but i mean it's neat that they're willing to reach out to you and get back to you on the idea of it with with just being like hey it's my first book i just want to interview you and oh yeah to get back um, to you right well yeah i mean they definitely trusted me. Um, I would definitely say that like, I know plenty of people that have wanted to do similar things that d- don't have the same luck as me. Because like I said, I was a journalist and I covered the video game industry for a decade before I started, you know, the book. So I did have like a little bit more, you know, on, a, well, not a little bit, a lot more on my resume. And I knew a good portion of the de- developers I had featured them. I had done profiles and features on them before for other publications. So that definitely helped, but like, um, absolutely. In terms of developers wanting to share what they know though, I have to say that like North American developers are far more forthcoming than Japanese developers. Um, Japanese developers like do not like to talk. Um, I think I'm pretty sure like in every book I've gotten like one or two 
Japanese developers, but they're like, they're very much like, this is what I created and I created it at this moment in time and that's it. I'm moving on to the next thing. They don't like to harp on what they've created. They don't like to think legacy. They like to think of it like as a project that they did and then they move on to the next thing. It's like very rare that you get a developer, a Japanese developer that's willing to like really show you like what went on under the hood with their game but like north american developers totally totally get it like some of my favorite people to speak to are like the, the original the ogs like the atari 2600 guys and like the atari coin op guys that like built amazing pieces of technology from the ground up and these were some of the smartest people in the entire world at the time and um so many people don't know how hard they worked on these things how like you know we think now like an atari 2600 game is only 4k rom that yeah it's not not technologically advanced at all but imagine being a developer and having the entire assembly language code memorized in your brain you know, while you're developing, like, it's pretty crazy shit. Like these guys were super, super intelligent. And without their, without their work, there would be no video game industry as we know it today. You know, it would be very different. So I love preserving those stories. Okay. So you do voice acting as well. How did you get involved in voiceover work? Um, so what happened was after the first book, um, came out, um, like I told you, I had some developers that were coming back to me. So I was kind of like wrangling up sources. So it's like the first book came out, it's doing well. And now we're talking, this is like three, four months after the first book comes out. So I'm selling books, I'm doing podcasts, I'm doing speaking engagements. It's so much fun, but no no definite plans on a sequel yet. So I'm just kind of like writing for Review Fix, writing for Old School Gamer, just kind of like, you know, biding my time, seeing what's going on. And uh, I came across this game on Twitter called The Padre. And um, it it was uh, this Minecraft-looking voxel um, graphic, um, really cool soundtrack, point-and-click survival horror game. And um, I was just immediately attracted to, like, the lighting and the visuals and stuff. So I reached out to the developers for an interview for ReviewFix.com. And I did the interview and I found out that I I was like the first person to like show any interest in their game. And it was really nice. I ended up having like a relationship with these guys, like talking to them a lot. And so then when the game went into beta, they asked me if I wanted to play it. So I said, sure. So I started playing it. And as you guys know, if you're going to play a point and click game, uh, the text has to be spot on. It has to be perfect. Um, if That's true. If there's grammatical mistakes, like that's you're gonna kill the game, you know. So I noticed like right away there was like a ton of grammatical mistakes in the dialogue, and it was because these guys were from Bulgaria, you know. English wasn't their first language, so I told them I'm like, if you guys want me to, I will edit all of the dialogue in this game. And they were like, well, how much would that cost? And we came up with a price. So I edited all of the dialogue for the game in about two days. I sent it back to them. And they pay me. So I was like, wow, that's cool. That's my first paying gig in in a video game. And they're going to give me credit as, you know, story editor and blah, 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 blah. So then like a week goes by and they send me like another 2000 lines of dialogue. And I'm like, wait, hold on. And they're like, no, we're not done with you yet. We'll pay you again. Don't worry. I'm like, okay. So now I'm like a member of the team. I'm on like the Google Hangout. I'm on the Discord. I'm bullshitting with them every day. I'm like, this is great. So now they're getting ready to go to Kickstarter. And they go to me 
Pat, we need you to write like this entire Kickstarter campaign for us. And I'm like, Oh my God, like this, <laughs> like this is so much pressure, you know? So I'm like, okay, all right, I could do this. So Here, we're I giving you the gun. Hopefully you point it in the right direction. Basically, you know, <laughs> like they're like, they're like, we'll write, we'll write, we'll write it, but we need you to edit it. We need you to organize it. We need you to make it flow. We need you to make it look like a real like Kickstarter. And I'm like, okay, all right, no problem. So like probably like two weeks before we're getting ready to go to Kickstarter, the voice actor for the Padre, the main character, he leaves. So they're just like, yeah, he was having family problems and um, he's out. So we're fucked. And I'm like, well, you know, to be honest, his voice didn't match the game. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, we've got like this like really dark Lovecraftian, like alone in the dark homage, like point and click survival horror RPG. And he sounds like Russell Brand. I'm like, he's, he's, he's just like, you know, like this wacky man running through the mansion. Like, oh, oh my God, you know? And I'm just like, mm, this doesn't work. And they're like, well, what are we going to do? And I'm like, I could do better. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah. So they're like, all right, go, go record some lines and we'll let you know. So I go in my man cave and I'm just like, fuck, what did I get myself into? <laughs> so then I'm like, I could totally, I could totally just imitate that guy's voice. If that's what they want, I could totally do that. It's just, you know, I could blow, you know, talk like this, you know, the Padre, you know. I'm just like, that sucks, though. That sucks. So then um, I've always been good at that kind of uh, in a world movie voice, you know, like, in a world, one man, one cat, Kali McPherson is the cat, you know, like, like that voice. And um, <laughs> I'm like, I can't, I can't do, I can't do that voice because people would just pee their pants. They wouldn't play the game. They would just laugh their ass off. And I'm like, it's a scary, like Lovecraftian game. So I'm like, well, what if I combined like that in a world with that, like Russell Brand thing? And I just bloody came across this dark English voice. My name is Alexander and I am the portrait. Kali, I see your cat across the room. And you know what I say to myself? Cats are best kicked across rooms, not carried. You know, it's just like a dark English voice to, to suit the dark, the dark tones of the game, you know? And, um, they fucking ate it up. They loved it. They were like, this is perfect. They're like, um, go record like all 4,000 lines of dialogue right now. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, go. Good. Hey, good job. Here's your 4,000 lines to record. Yeah. So, so I did. And uh, we didn't get funded in Kickstarter. And um, we were like really pissed off because the game, we were really proud of the game. But what ended up happening was we did so many podcasts and we did so many interviews that we ended up getting picked up by a publisher instead. And uh, Feardemic picked us up. And uh, this was, we ended up self-publishing the game on uh, Steam. But then uh, Feardemic picked us up and um, they published us on uh, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, and PlayStation 4. And, um, oh my God, like we've got like a whole, like little, I get fan art, like all the time people send me fan art. There's like a guy on, um, like <laughs> there's a guy on discord that the name of his, um, avatar is meatball. And, um, that's the name of my dog. Cause like I, I, I used to go on like the discord and I would walk my dog in the morning and I would just like talk about my day as the Padre. And they'd hear me like yelling at my dog in the Padre voice. And, um, like I, I have like fans as a voice actor, like it's so much fun. So, um, so then that game came out 
and then I ended up hooking up with a couple of other developers and um, I did voice acting on a couple of other games and then that opened up the door to some writing. So I'm writing for a couple of games right now that I can't discuss because of NDAs and things like that. But uh, I'm also I'm doing voice on a upcoming game called uh, Project RDRA, Run, Die, Run Again, that Tony Barnes is doing. Um, and Tony Barnes is a guy that worked on all of the Strike games, so like Desert Strike, Jungle Strike, Urban Strike, Soviet wow. Strike. Um, he uh, was one of the main designers on Buffy the Vampire Slayer on Xbox, on um, Star Wars Episode Three. He was Wait, the lead they made a Buffy the Vampire Slayer video game on Xbox. I, it's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. an awesome game. Um, he also did. Uh, he was the lead designer on the last Strider game, Strider 2014, which I feel is like super under. Oh, Strider 4 2014 is the greatest game ever. I'm actually got it at my backlog. Yep, so, so good. Uh, so, so good. I'm I'm amazed to so many people don't play that game. That game mm -hmm. is so good and the writing's like like it's 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 just for being the the idea that they took a game that was a a, a, a game where you played like from le left to right and they made it into like a Metrovania game and they they just it just is so clean and it just really opens up the character and the story and it's really like it's probably the best Strider game ever made. So if you like that Strider, then you're gonna love uh, his his upcoming game, um, RDRA. Um, it's super awesome. I've had an opportunity to kind of like just oh. watch wa watch him develop it from you know from a really early point, and um, he does all the music on the game. He's a one man band. He's like one of the most talented game developers I've ever met. And um, so to to grow up playing his games to now being able to to work with him and even in this small fashion has just been so much fun so that's that's how i broke into into video games like voice acting if it wasn't for my ability as a writer and an editor then i probably would have never gotten gotten into editing and then if it wasn't for my big fucking mouth i probably never would have became a voice actor you pointed the gun in the right direction i didn't shoot yourself in the foot good job absolutely absolutely all right so what's next for you um so right now uh, the Minds Behind the Sports Games is coming out uh, like any day now. Like I'm literally, I sent in my final edits about two weeks ago. So like I'm, I'm literally waiting for my books to like come to my doorstep because I have like 50 pre-orders that I have to fill. Um, and then uh, I finished the Minds Behind the the Shooter Games about four months ago. So the cover has just been designed for that. I'm wrapping up uh, the Minds Behind the Sega Genesis games, and I'm probably like three quarters of the way done through um, the Minds Behind the Sony PlayStation games. I'm Like I said, also too, because of NDA, I can't discuss a couple of the games that I'm actually working on as a writer right now. Um, but one game that I can discuss is this game called Kroom, K-R-O-O-M, that I wrote the story for, and I'm actually working on that with Pete Paquette, who was the lead animator on Bioshock Infinite, and he's also a oh my god. He's also an animator on Overwatch. Um, his brother is the engineer and the composer, so we're a three-man team. And that's basically like if um, Akari Warriors um, made love with the original Legend of Zelda that's basically like the premise really? of the game. Yeah. Oh. And, um, and I wrote the story for the game and I'm the voice of the main character. So that's been in development for like a year and a half. COVID has kind of slowed us down a little bit, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting back into the saddle and developing that some more. And then um, Padre 2 is uh, is wrapping up now too. I'm, I'm starting to uh, finish up my voice work for the Padre to uh it's called the uh, the padre one shell straight to hell and it's very different from the first because the first is kind of like um a point and click survival horror 
And um, the second one is basically like Contra with like tower defense elements in it. It's freaking insane. And um, that's crazy. It's basically like you're stuck in this mansion and you're trying to like find out what's going on in this mansion and you've got to like shoot everything, but then you've also got to like protect people in certain rooms. And as you like build up your strength, you can fortify like the rooms that you've already been in. So it's really freaking smart and cool and different. So um, the 2020 was an amazing year for me in terms of like what I was able to get done. But like 2021, I'm going to have like three video games coming out, like two books. It's going to be it's going to be pretty wild. So I'm, I'm super excited. So, so next question for you, uh, when are you mm-hmm. going to have your own college program of how to be a badass in the gaming industry and start writing everything and making everything in voice acting? It's funny because it's like the whole reason why this book series and all of this stuff happened is because I was trying to pitch a multimedia journalism class in the program that I work in. And my boss at the time was like, no, And I was like, why? And he had no interest in like building the program or furthering the program in any way, shape or form. So I told him, I was like, well, I'm like, my wife is going to have a kid soon and I want to do something that I'm like super proud of. And I've taught multimedia journalism at other colleges. And I I think we should bring it here and we should really try and build this program into something special. And he was just like, nah, there's no reason for it. We don't need to do it. So I was like, well, then I'm going to write a book. And he's like, yeah, go write a book, kid. And that night, that was that was Halloween 2016. And I went home that night and I told my wife, I'm like, I'm going to write a book. And she's like, that's great. She's like, don't talk about it. She's like, go in your room, think about what you're going to do and then do it. And I did. And three and a half years later, I'm I have six. I'm I'm, I'm finishing up my fifth and sixth books. I, I've got credits on like five or six different games. And it's all because I mean, I had done great work like before that. But it was just like that moment in my life. I was kind of like, I'm going to be somebody's father soon like i have to have like i have to have things that i'm super proud of so like my kid can tell their friends like you know what my dad did this like i wanted i want i wanted to be like the best advocate i could for my kids but i also wanted to set an example for my kids so i feel like that person saying what they said was kind of like the greatest motivation for me to finally like be the person that like i felt like i should have always been like up until that point in my life i kind of felt like fucking like mulan you know who is that girl i see staring back in front of me you know like i didn't i I looked at myself in the mirror and i was like i could be doing so many cool things right now why am i not doing them and then it was just like that was the moment where i was like you know what no i am gonna write books and then when i had the opportunity to story edit i'm like you know what no i am gonna do this so um i would love love to teach like a video game journalism course one day. I don't know if it's ever going to happen where I'm working now. Um, I think, I think it would be great if it would, but I don't know. But um, I think I'm definitely qualified to teach it now. And I think it would be a blast for people, but it's it's such a rare thing to find. Um, Like, I mean, obviously all of us in this podcast here have some knowledge of the video game industry. And I know Roberto uh, has, is more on the writing side of, uh being on the sense of video game industry and i know for me for years uh i've never been a writer uh mm-hmm. but i've always wanted to be that interviewer slash journalist slash uh you know the rep the the rep for the company i'm the guy you tell it you show me your game and i'm the one that just gets super excited about it and brings it to yeah. shows and things like that mm-hmm. and when i looked at doing that at the time uh there there isn't much out there uh course wise to really do that it's kind of like hey you can learn journalism or we have this one course that just is five years and, you know, 
$30,000 a year and we're going to teach you a little bit of everything. Maybe something might work for you. Like yeah. there's nothing really that says, hey, here's a, a course to get you in the video game industry. There's development yeah. courses. There's a journalism course. There's a multimedia course. But even a multimedia course just goes, here's how you make a YouTube video. Here's how mm-hmm. you... Yep. Here's how you uh, edit a podcast. Here's how you uh, do journalism. Here's tourism. Here's yep. world culture. But there's nothing that says this is because because video games for a lot of people don't understand. It's a very different industry. It's not it's not like everything else. It's it's Absolutely. got its own culture. It's got its own everything. Mm-hmm. And it blows my mind to this day that there's not something out there to get someone out there right away into the industry. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. Well, that's uh, exactly where I'm at right now, because uh, basically where I'm at, uh, Mr. Hickley is at Hickey, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, like like the mark on your neck you're not supposed to get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's exactly what I told Kalai the other day. Um, so me, I have two college degrees in graphic design. I have written about 20, 30 articles for the school newspaper. I was the only guy doing reviews and then video game reviews. Writing became kind of like an accidental discovery for me. And what had happened was I started to see that happening with college papers. Like one paper I wrote was for Juno, Juno for the, my film appreciation 101 class. And my professor liked it so much. She actually wanted to use it as a future reference for other classes. And That's I awesome. said, yes, cause I was very, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I was very, I, I like that. Um, I happened to speak at commencement and cause my, that we had an open speech, whatever at Brookdale community college. And then, I submitted a nice speech that was two pages long and it had to deal with Maya Angelou because she actually came to school. Wow. I was chosen. And even though they forgot the speech up there, I spoke most of the speech. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was like, I said, okay, writing's a big thing for you, Roberto. So do it. Yeah. I wrote video game reviews at Stockton. I was a radio guy at, at WLFR. And when I graduated in 2015, um, honestly, it, it, the last five years, I kind of had like a bewildering moment. I said, what the hell did I do with my life? Like, there was good things that happened. I joined stackup.org. I've been I've written close to four to five hundred articles for their blog in the in the time since I've been there. Mm-hmm. And some of it's been reviewed many of it's been reviews and news and some of it's been interviews and hands-on impressions. And then I even joined wrote for a website called But Why Build Podcast, and then I left them and went to go write for Maruna's Rock. And then before that I had written for Dual Pixels LLC and Niche Gamer. Oh wow. Oh. And I got to go to PAX. I got to go to E3. I got to meet all these great people. I got to go to an E3 PlayStation party where like you ate little pieces of chicken on the river to celebrate Ghost of Tsushima. And the whole, the whole street was dressed in New York because it was like celebrating Spider-Man in 2018. And it was just the coolest thing. But now it's like, I'm like, we're like, I'm, I'm, I, I went like two steps forward and one step back. Cause once again, there's just nothing here in Jersey for this type of thing. Like, I, yeah, I worked at a children's museum and that was not so good. And then, but I still wrote and played games. And then I've been trying and hunting left and right and up and down for something out there to, to, with gaming that was paying jo- a paying job, like whether it was New York Times, Digital Trends, um, Wall Street Journal, you know, like anything out there. I replied to Kotaku like five times. Mm-hmm. That didn't work out. And then all sorts of different things. And it's, it's frustrating because it's like, I want to get in the business and then the business is really a big about inclusion and big on diversified voices. But it's like, I, the way it's like the more I see it, the more, less I see opportunities for that. 
and then here's me. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm a young Latino, 31 going on 32 young male that wants to be able to work and share voices, like you said. And I just can't fi- find a means to, to not even find the smallest of cracks to, to get into. See, I feel right like now, I feel like the the moment where I started to make myself super different from everywhere from everybody else is the second that I was like, you know what? I'm not writing reviews anymore. The second that I was like, you know what? Everybody and their mother has an opinion about a game. Um, I'm going to be as selfless as possible. And I'm just going to write features. I'm just going to speak to people and I'm going to let them talk to me. And I'm not going to, they're not going to know anything about me. And I'm just going to let them share their story with me. And I'm going to make it my goal to tell their story. That's when I feel like people started to take my writing a lot more seriously, you know? Yeah. So now like, so you just have to have like your moment of like, what type of because this is the thing with writing writing isn't necessarily what you want to write it's what you can write that you can sell so it's like i tell my wife all the time as much as i love video games um if i had to write about like 1930s jazz to like foot to put food on the table for my wife and my two kids and my my dog and cat and stuff that's what i would do you know because that's what that's what a real writer does you know so um it's hard. It's freaking hard. And you're right. It is it is about like right now especially we're all about like di- diversity and stuff, but all of these diverse voices are bringing something different, you know? So it's like right. The re- I tell my students all the time, I'm like if you want to break into like vi- the video game uh journalism scene, the last thing that you should do is write reviews. Because everybody writes reviews. Anybody could write a review. You know, but if you start rattling off, well, I've interviewed this person, I've interviewed that person, da 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 da. da then all of a sudden, it's like, because you could say, oh, well, I reviewed Spider Man, and people could go, yeah, I know, I went to GameStop and I paid sixty dollars for Spider Man, and I reviewed it too on my blog. So how do you different differentiate the quality of one person's review and and somebody else's? Of course, you can, you can do that, but if somebody sat down and wrote a three thousand, four thousand word interview with a person that's instantly going to get you a lot more attention than a review, you know? So it's just like, you've got to get to that point where you're like, what am I doing that's completely different from other people? Or what am I doing that's similar to other people, but I'm putting my stamp on it. So like with my thing is like, I saw what Brett Weiss was doing. And I feel like Brett Weiss is one of those authors in the video game industry that does excellent work in terms of like reference books. Like he could do something like, um, the video game industry 1981 to 1987 and what he'll do is he will write two or three paragraphs on every game released on every console from 1981 to 1987 he's a fucking genius and he writes in this succinct easy to read style and that's what he does and i'm just like that i love those books but i can't do that i'm like but i can focus on like maybe 30 or 35 games and tell their stories and try and do it with the same amount of like tender love and care that brett does it but do it in my own style you know so that's what you've got to do you've got to like look at like some of the people that are doing stuff that really affects you and then say how do i do it my way you know right so then what would you think about if i had if if someone were to make a like a one-on-one type of feature over Spotify, say, and it's no longer than 20 minutes. That's awesome. 
Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? One of the ideas I've been floating around. But now the thing is, too, it's like, are you going to ask questions that everyone knows the answers to? Are you going to like, what's what's your interview style going to be like? Well, um, you know, are you going to be Howard Stern or are you going to be like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you've got to find a way. Yeah. You've you know, it's, it's, it's like what you, I think what you said earlier, this just ask like talking to people, like mm-hmm. not so much a Q and a style, mm-hmm. uh, because like you said, like one of the first, uh, people I talked to ever uh, in the business was, um, I was at PAX West and we were on the sixth floor. There was a guy at a little booth who was showing off his game, uh, Crashlands. It was coming to the switch mm-hmm. and we were talking and the guy mentions in this conversation, Oh yeah, well, I, I added this. After a round of chemotherapy, and I said, "Excuse me." There you go. That's and a story. Like, yep. Yeah. So mm-hmm. my regret is I didn't build upon that, but I did talk to him, and I still remember that conversation. Mm-hmm. So it's like that's yep. yep. Yeah. That's kind that's of like it's, it's kind of like I'll give you an example in the uh, the minds behind the Sega Genesis uh, games. That's it'll be out like next year, the end of next year. Um, I interviewed David Perry, and he was the programmer on Aladdin on the Sega Genesis. It's one of the best-selling games in the Genesis history. Everybody knows that everybody knows that it has hand-drawn animation. Everybody knows that it's different from the Super Nintendo version, blah blah blah. blah. But did you know that like David Perry the programmer is 6 foot 8 and slept in his car most of the development cycle? No, you know, so it's like that's what you try and do. You try and tell tell the story in a way where you're going to connect like the hardcore gamer, but then you're also going to connect other people that might not necessarily be into video games like holy crap this guy slept in his car for nine months a six foot eight guy slept in his car for eight nine months to finish this game on time you know like that's that that chemo thing you should have had a light bulb go off in your head like holy shit this is a story you know so it takes time it takes it i'm telling you like um i'm 37 and i feel like i get better every single day at this i look at some of the stuff that i wrote when i was like your age and I'm just like, oh my god, I wrote that. I look at some of the stuff that I wrote like 15 years ago, and I I go, oh my god, that's on the internet. Somebody could see that. Oh my god, you know. So it's just like, that's the best thing about writing, right? Kalai's cat agrees, right. you know. Um, <laughs> that, <laughs> that you you can get better at this every single day as long as you stay open to critique. You're willing to adapt and you're willing to grow every single day. You can get better at this, you know. So take it as fuel. Yeah. All right. So, Patrick, our next question yeah. is: What's your earliest video game memory? Um, probably, probably RBI Baseball on the NES. Um, that or like Super Mario, obviously Super Mario, uh, Donkey, uh, Super Mario Brothers Duck Hunt. Um, but RBI Baseball, man. Oh, I I'm I'm a huge baseball fan. I've always been a huge baseball fan, and just I remember like playing uh, RBI Baseball and being able to play as Don Mattingly and play as Daryl Strawberry and play as, you know, Dave Rigetti and Nolan Ryan and go, holy crap, you know? Um, so those, the games that like connected me with my favorite baseball and hockey players, like NHLPA 93, NHL 94, um, all of those games, like those were the games that like made me a fan for life. Okay, and what's your favorite video game of all time? Oh, that's like asking like a full-blooded American male like his favorite Sports Illustrated swimsuit model, you know? Um, all of them. All of them, yeah. Um, and see, that's the thing. This, the, the, the second that I separated myself and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to like label games anymore. If somebody goes, oh, 
The Last of Us, I'm not going to go, oh, well, you know, I'm going to go, okay. And I'm going to just rattle off all the things that are unique about it. Because my opinion at the end of the day, even though I have thousands of games and even though I've played thousands more and even though I've interviewed thousands of video game developers, my opinion still doesn't mean that much. So at the end of the day, it's like if I can kind of break down the context of the game, understand that, and then like the legacy and the games that it's affected, I feel like that's so much more. But um, my personal favorites, um, I had to rattle off a few because one is impossible. Um, I'd be I like, feel the, I feel the same way, but I figured I ask. No, 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 it's okay. Um, I would say like I'll name like ten or so. Um, so like Baldur's Gate, Dark Alliance. Um, oh yeah. Fallout Three, oh yeah, um, um, Cave Story, um, Pokemon Red and Blue. Oh man, um, those are the childhood on the floppy disk in the old computer with the emulator. Uh, oh mm-hmm. man, I even we're, made a red and blue floppies. Absolutely, you know, um, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Oh, I love um, that game and the show. I actually, um, I actually found the programmer for Where in the World is Carmen San Diego, and I called his job. Um, to get him to talk to me for the first book. And um, yeah, he was just basically like, how'd you get this number? And I was just like, um, I found you on LinkedIn and then I cross-referenced the name of the company and I found the, the number and then I told the secretary to uh, patch me into you. He goes, you don't know my extension? I'm like, no, I just asked for you and I figured she would patch me in and I sounded confident and he was just like, oh my God. And he's like, yeah, I'll talk to you, no problem. And then we ended up talking and he sent me some great answers and it's like one of my favorite chapters in the first book. So um Trying to think of what well, else. Quick, uh, quick FYI, um, mm-hmm. the, the animated show right now is on Tubi. Nice. So yeah. if you want to watch the early CGI animation. So good. Yep. It's so good. So NBA Jam, Mortal Kombat, like those are some of my favorites. Okay. So the last question is, tell us about your latest book, which should uh, bring us to the topic of the show. Yeah, sure. Um, so my my upcoming book that's going to be out in like any day now is the Minds Behind the Sports Games, and um, it's the same style as the first two books, the Minds Behind the Games and the Minds Behind the Adventure Games. It's like it's chapter based. Um, each chapter is dedicated to a specific game. Um, the Minds Behind the Sports Games has uh, thirty five games featured, um, and they are a vari- uh, There's a huge variety, so it's like cult, uh, cult sports games, classic sports games, a couple of indie sports games so i'll just rattle off some of some of my favorites on here like tony hawk pro skater 3 um kelly slater's pro surfer destruction derby ssx 10 pin alley rockstar table tennis um nhl face of 98 mutant league hockey nhl 2k wcw nwo revenge um tough man contest um nba shootout lakers versus celtics in the nba playoffs earl weaver baseball rbi baseball fifa soccer uh john madden football ncaa football uh 2014 which is the last one nfl blitz 2002 so it's like we've got a whole like cross section of of sports games in here and i get the developers to tell the behind the scenes stories and some of them have never most of them have never been told before and just some of them will absolutely blow like your mind like some of the ea stuff like the stuff that oh boy yeah yeah. The stuff that EA did in the beginning of like the whole EA Sports um era was just so they were so ahead of their own time. Um and they were just so smart in terms of business, the business that they did like changed the industry forever and I cannot wait for you guys to check it out when it's available. And then they screwed it all up later on. All right. 
So, the topic of the show, are sports games becoming too realistic? Should we go back to, like, a simpler time of sports games? Patrick, with your book, can you tell us the answer to this? What is your opinion, I should say? So, uh, I'll tell you this much. Like, every developer that I've spoken to um, from the old days, so, like, the the founding fathers of EA Sports, guys like Michael Brook, um, Don Traeger, they, they were basically, like, the thing that made EA Sports games so great was their accessibility. That you didn't have to know all of the rules of hockey nope. to play to play NHL 94. You you just had to know how to shoot, how to pass, how to hit, you know? Um football, John Madden football, you just had to know how to like you know, read the pass windows and use the speed burst and you learned the plays because the plays were diagrammed out for you and stuff like the the learning curve was always like very accessible and the games had some sense of reality because they had real players and stuff like that, but they were still very much arcade based. Um, that was kind of like a best of both worlds approach. Um, and they felt like that was the best way to like make a game. Um, even though now, like sometimes you can't even tell the difference between like a game and like an actual game and a video game. Like if you just glance over really fast, because I mean, visually games look freaking fantastic now and they mirror the presentation of the real thing. And my whole thing is it's just like, if you're going to play a game and it's so much like the real thing, then why don't you just go out and play the real thing? You know, it's just like we've gotten to the point where we've kind of lost some of the fun factor of some of these games. Like, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example, like wrestling games. Mm-hmm. Too many buttons. Too yeah, many two, buttons. Absolutely. Yeah. Like 2K just like oversaturated the... Uh, the genre so much and they just made it feel like so realistic to the point where like it wasn't fun and the best wrestling games of all time were the ones on the nintendo 64 where oh yeah yeah i'm not i'm not a wrestling guy i'll admit Mm -hmm. i'm not a wrestling guy but like uh one of our youth groups we had uh what was it wcw versus nwo Mm -hmm. and the battle royale and that's that's what we do we'd all sit there with four controllers we put yep. it to like a 64 person battle royale or whatever. Uh, was it last in the ring or whatever it was called? And as soon as someone got out, they'd pass the controller over. And it was just super simple. It was just punch, grab, move your controller a certain direction to slam them down. And then once your special was up, you'd press another button to do that. And it was mm-hmm. just all out carnage. No one, you didn't have to know wrestlers. You didn't have to know their moves. You didn't have to counter. You didn't have to. Like I hear Joe. Uh, talk about the new one, and he's like, "Well, man, it's so hard because I'm trying to like do this move, but I've got to counter his move." And I'm like, "What is? Ha-? I'm like, and like Joe says, it's more the idea of what he likes about the newer wrestling games is just setting it to his dream fights and just watching the computers go at it. And that's not a video game; that's a simulator. No, that's yeah. Joe just just wasting time. If he if he wants to do that, I mean, if he wants to watch two guys wrestle, I mean, he can. There's a lot more places he can go other than you know. A video game oh, console. Oh my god. So um you're absolutely right. Like so WCW NWO Revenge is actually the sequel to that game that you were talking about. So yeah. in that chapter, I talked to the producer of that game, Sanders Keel, and he just talks about because he was the guy that saw the Japanese version of that game on the PlayStation and was like, yeah. We need to get the rights to this and we need to bring this to the United States. And then he ended up talking to WCW and they ended up making it a WCW game and the rest is history. Cause then it was a WCW game and then WCW went to electronic arts and that fell flat on its face. But then they ended yeah. up 
they ended up doing like WrestleMania 2000, WWF No Mercy, and those are two of the greatest wrestling games of all time. So that chapter tells the history of how basically one guy was able to bring Aki, that developer, to the United States and change like the video game wrestling scene forever because those games haven't come out in like 20 years, but people still want to play them. Um, so, but that's that's a microcosm of what we're talking about now. So it's just well because like, we've got that new wrestling game that's coming out, and I know like Joe's super excited about it, and I'm even willing to purchase it, and I haven't purchased oh, the re- wrestling retro, game. Uh, retro Mania, yeah, and it's and that, like that's the that, thing, right? It plays that it. key. Well, it doesn't it doesn't play like Revenge. It plays like WrestleFest. Yeah, and WrestleFest is a lot of fun too. WrestleFest is a um, is an arcade wrestling game that it doesn't play super similar to to no mercy and revenge but it's still a fun accessible wrestling game and i think that's what people want that's one of the reasons why i i like the fact that um 2k is working now with saber interactive and those are the guys that did nba playgrounds and they're doing wwf battlegrounds and they're going to make like a wwf game that's just like super fun arcadey and accessible and um i think that game is going to do great so it's like um it's not to say that like a realistic game can't sell. I mean, I love NHL 20. I think NHL 20. Oh, NHL 20 is amazing. I love it, but it's because I really love hockey. And this, this is the thing though, too. I guarantee you that NHL 94 sold more copies than NHL 20 because NHL 94 attracts a casual audience as well as a hardcore audience. So you've got to be able to do a little bit of both. It's kind of like, it's like music. Michael Jackson can attract a hardcore music aficionado. And somebody could be like, man, his voice, the pitch, what he's able to do here. Oh, did you hear the bass line here? Because they know that like Quincy Jones wrote the music to a lot of that stuff. You know, so it's like it hits on so many different levels, you know. But then at the same time, too, you just have like some girl at the club that wants to dance to Thriller. You know, so it's like as a video game developer, you have to be able to say, like, how can I attract a hardcore following and how do I attract more of a niche following at the same time? Because if you can't, you're not going to make enough money and your games aren't going to get sequels. And that's that's the industry that we're in now. You know, um, there are a lot of great developers out there now that had no interest in making sequels and they didn't make nearly as much money as they could have. So, like, I'll give you an example. Um, Arch Rivals. Arch Rivals was like one of the best basketball games like ever in, in the arcade. And what happened was Midway said to those guys, you know, Jeff Norman and um, uh, Brian Co- Colin, why don't you guys make a sequel? And they're like, nah, man, we don't have any interest in making a sequel. We're going to do something else. Blah, 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 blah. So they ended up going to a young developer by the name of Mark Termel. And they said, why don't you make a sequel to Arch Rivals? And that game ended up becoming NBA Jam. And NBA Jam made a billion dollars in the arcade its first year. So you've got to be able to to attract as many people to your brand as possible so you can get to that sequel. Because this is the thing, too. Nobody ever gets to make all of their dreams come true in their first game. Then when your second game comes out, you get a little bit closer. It's by the third or fourth game in your series that you're able to like really hit all of those levels. I mean, think of like Call of Duty. What's like the best Call of Duty? It's probably like the fourth or fifth one in the series. It's probably like Modern Warfare, the first Modern yep. Warfare. Yep. You know, it's not it's not the first, it's not the second, it's not the third. And then I mean again too, if you look at like Madden, the best Madden was probably like Madden ninety three. 
because that was the one that got all of the teams in there, got all the classic teams in there and stuff like that. So NHL 94 is, is considered by many to be the best um, hockey game of all time. That's the third NHL game that EA ever did. Uh, virtual, uh, not virtual pro wrestling, um, WCW NWO World Tour. That's the second one. WCW NWO uh, WCW versus the World is the first one. WCW NWO Revenge is the third one. That's considered by many to be like the best WCW game of all time. So it's like if you're a game developer, you need like at least five or six years to work on your game. But the way the industry is now, they go, oh, you know what? Try and bang the game out in nine months. If it's not finished, don't worry. You could patch the shit out of it. And then we'll just throw in microtransactions. Yeah. And we'll make money that way. Back in the day, most of the developers that I interview now, they didn't have that opportunity. So no, it had to be finished, bug, right? It, it had to be finished. To come out. And, yeah. if, and if there's a bug in the game, then then there's a bug in the game, and you've got to just be able to play through it, or or it's just a permanent like fuck up in the game. Yeah, uh, Roberto. Now- what about? Oh, I was just gonna ask Roberto because I know Roberto. Did you play much sports games? Like, like we talk, we're talking a lot about like the older Genesis, and I know like with a lot of those classic games, you you kind of were in that generation a little bit. Uh, what did you play when it came to sports games, or had friends, or NBA Jam and stuff? And Griffey Junior for the SNES, NES. and that was kind of it. Um, and NFL Blitz. Um, oh, I really Blitz. wasn't a much sports enthusiast. Um, Right, but what about is, like what about Blitz like NBA Jam? Well, what about NBA Jam? No, I never oh. did. I but Blitz is a good example, uh, though. Blitz was Blitz a great was, game. Yeah. Blitz is kind of old school. Well, see, I Blitz, never, uh... Blitz Two is a situation where Blitz made a ton of money in the arcade, and by the time Blitz got around to like its third or fourth entry, Midway was completely out of the arcade business. So now you have developers that are used to working in the arcade where when you when you develop in the arcade, you're basically creating your own technology. So like I'm not sure how many people know this, but when you create an arcade game, you're basically creating your own console. Like the technology like usually it'll build off of like a former existing like engine or something like that. But a lot of the times you're creating like new technology from the ground up. So there's basically no limits. You can do like whatever it is that you want to do. And you usually have a lot of time to do it because there's no, there's no timetable for a release. When it comes out, it comes out, you know? Um, But the console industry is very different. Like if you're going to release a football game, when are you going to release a football game in August at the end of August, the beginning of September? You know, if you're going to release a baseball game, it's going to be in March. If you're going to release a hockey game, it's going to be in October, you know? So the Blitz team, they weren't the type of team that was like, um, yeah, guys, your game has to come out like before the preseason is over. They were like, fuck you. Like, we'll release the game whenever we want. So with the like uh, the case of like Blitz 2003, that game didn't come out until after the Super Bowl was over. So like Midway is basically like, guys, how are we supposed to make any money on this game? No one cares about football anymore because the Super Bowl is finished. And they were basically like, we don't care. You wanted a football game. We released a football game. So those guys made great football games. And like in the case of, of Blitz 2003, like it sold nearly a half a million copies, which is excellent. You know, like, I mean, think about it, $50 a game. You're talking like the game made $250 million. Like it made a ton of money. But imagine if Blitz would have came out the same week as Madden 
NFL Game Day, uh, NFL 2K, if all of those games, it probably would have stole a lot of sales from those other other games, you know? So in the case of Blitz, every year it was like one of the best football games that came out, but it could never come out on time. So it could never capitalize on how good a goddamn football game it was. So imagine if you're the producer and you've got this team of amazing developers that just can't get their shit together and re- release a game on time. And you're the producer. That's your job to make sure that the game comes out on time. So in uh, the minds behind the sports games, I talked to the producer of NFL blitz 2003 and he just talks about how like he just had this amazing team and how like it just sucked that they couldn't get a game out on time. Uh, now see, I'm on, I'm on the, I'm on the side of they're just becoming too more too realistic. Like I like simpler games cause it's easier for me to get involved especially mm-hmm. with like the Madden series mm-hmm. and the and the I love NHL 94. Mm-hmm. I don't like NHL 20. I'm like oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um now Roberta, you're on the same side as me. Correct? Do you think that do you think they're getting yeah. too too realistic? Yeah, I I absolutely agree. What's going on is that too is that a lot of ki- more kids are playing video games I think now than ever before. Um which so then one of the biggest with the realism mechanics in some of the newer games, it makes it hard to play with uh, kids. Like, for example, um, my nephew's 10 years old now. Mm-hmm. And now he's playing NBA 2K20 or what, whatever the next one is. Mm-hmm. And he now plays the NCAA 2014 on my PlayStation 3. But, however, we wanted to get him, like, the Madden games, or my parents or, or my my parents are... There, my nephew's parents were also thinking of getting him at him, but I'm just, you have no, I kept telling them, like, I don't think it's a good idea because there's just no accessibility for that. Even yeah. if you're years old, it's, well, you have to know all the sciences, the physical capabilities, the, the profiles, the different details. I mean, if you're someone who studies this, it's fine, but it's, it, otherwise it's not viable. Well, and, I, I will admit, yeah. Roberto, in the last two years, EA has been smart. And they, for example, like with with Chell, right? Mm-hmm. NHL 2018 was probably the worst Chell, NHL they've ever made. Uh, 2019 was better. But what they've done now, and it's really neat to see, is when you, it, it's, it sucks because the way they've implemented it, they haven't implemented it very good. <laughs> they made it really terrible to do. But yeah. there's actually a 93 mode in NHL 20. Mm-hmm. Where basically it takes out, it just puts basic rules, it puts all the control, it just makes, you have a pass button, you have a shoot button, that's it, there's no other buttons, it makes it so that the computers are stupid easy, uh, it's super simple, and they also have a lot of game modes that they've come out with, like uh, the 3v3, uh, or the one-on-one, where it's just a kind of, like, there's one goalie, three guys, everyone tries to shoot the puck in, Um I don't know with Madden how much they've... I know Madden's... They're having a hard time getting Madden to switch over, but with NHL and some of the other games, they are bringing back... Uh, they, they they have seen that a lot of people like the old NHL 93 and the controls that way, and there are the simple control modes. That's the way Joe plays. Like, Joe doesn't play the stick control ways like I do. He plays the old uh, NHL. He puts it on 93 mode, and it puts it on, like, the easiest mode possible, and then there's two buttons, and that's it. See, for me, it's the same exact thing. Like with, with my with my nephew, that's eleven. I'll play with the, I'll let him play with the older controls. But with me, like when NHL 08 came out, um, 
I was a huge fan of the NHL 2K series because I loved the defensive first physicality of NHL 2K because I felt like it was super realistic. And I love hockey. I've covered pro hockey for years. I love the sport. I played the sport. And I felt like NHL 2K was just a more realistic version of the sport. It was more fun for me to play. I had to think like a hockey player when I played it. But then when they introduced the skill stick in NHL 08, I just felt like they added such another level of fun and i love deking with the analog i feel like i could never go back to playing an nhl game without the skill stick that's just i i I hear you on that one yeah right so then even though so on the older ones they had re-released i still love those old games too Mm -hmm. yeah they they re-released tech mobile on uh the xbox uh 360 as well Right, so then I like at least that was always fun to play with my nephew, just because we can play like it was once again simple. You just you run, you you throw the ball, and that's it. No special teams. Just mm-hmm. I think Blit, wasn't Blitz remade for the was that for PS3? Oh yeah, it's PS3 and uh, Xbox 360 that Blitz was brought back out. Yeah, yeah, that was all right. But um, I'm not sure if you guys know, but they were actually doing up until like last year, um, ROM hacks for tech mobile where they were updating the rosters they have like tech yeah mobile. i heard about that yeah so much fun and then like there's if you go to nhl94.com every year they release a rom uh update with they have where they have the updated rosters for nhl and you could play nhl 94 with all of the new players and all of the new teams it's freaking awesome it's so much fun oh wow that's, that's really a, that's cool. a cool way i miss yeah. the old i miss the old street games that's that was my bread and butter like the oh, old yeah. days of like the the street home court for basketball, and then you had the mat, the NFL street. Like that that was probably the coolest. Absolutely, I, I, I love those where you talk about that realistic, but also the non realistic version of games. It mm-hmm. really sad that those all died, but like the have idea you that you could. Have you played what? NBA? Play, have you played NBA Playgrounds? No, I heard. I keep on being told to play that. And if you love, if you love uh, NBA Street, you NBA Playgrounds will absolutely hit you, like in the nostalgia gland, and you'll just be like, "Yeah, like that's what happened." Because I love NBA Street also, and Home Court was so pretty, you know. And but um, on the Nintendo Switch, it's on PS4 also. But I just love being able to take it with me, like wherever I go on the Switch. It's it's so much fun. One and two, two is better than one, but they're both great. So this is a game. Platform. So this is a game you're talking about. Roberto could probably get his nephew to play with him and definitely he, play. He would have so much fun with it. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so let's go to our questions. We asked our Facebook group if they had any questions. Uh, Daryl uh, asked, which is the best Batman game of the Arkham games, including Origins, and why is it Arkham Knight for putting the Batman versus Superman costume in it? Is that, is that a question or a statement? It's both. Is he, is he telling us or is he asking us? He's asking us, but he wants, he's telling us at the same time. This is, this is a typical question from him. He's actually the he's actually the podcast host of the Loot Bros podcast, which are nice. a they're a good friend of ours. I go on their podcast all the time. You know so. what's an excellent Batman game that gets absolutely zero credit? Batman Begins on the Batman on the uh, PlayStation Two. Have you guys played that before? Mm-hmm. Definitely I heard not. That was really good. It's su- it's a it's a lot more stealthy than um 
any of the Batman games that are out now, but it does so many freaking cool things. Um, I definitely suggest like if you have like 15 bucks in your pocket, like burning a hole in your pocket that you have to get rid of, um, go on eBay and pick up Batman begins on the PS2. Like, um, it, the people that did the Arkham games definitely took like the best of this game. And, uh, I'm pretty sure that Batman begins on PS2 is a EA game too, which is pretty interesting. So definitely, definitely check that out. So, and if you love the first um, film, if you love the Batman Begins film, you'll definitely like the game too. Also, I just want to say, Daryl, of course, it cannot be uh, the Batman versus Superman costume because we all know that Christopher Reeves is the best Superman. <laughs> what do you think, Corey? Um, I have to take my vote and go for like out of the Arkham series. It's I'm going to say City, just because Arkham Asylum was just a good game. Um, it really changed the way we play Batman games. It actually brought us back to the root of Batman not just being a beat em up where he was just going around punching people, uh, where we actually got the stealthy tech, like the stealthy things that made Batman Batman, like the smart Bruce Wayne. And I think the cool thing was is Asylum was just kind of very linear and was very stuck in its own place, whereas uh, City allowed you to kind of have that. What would Batman do in this situation? And you got to have a lot more, like, kind of like changing with that whereas the other two like with uh night and origins they kind of uh went more to the route of batman's got all this cool tech and he's just gonna just use that it's not really having to still worry about it it's more or less like a batman superman game than it is just a batman game for me i didn't play the arkham games at least not yet i did start a bit years ago on blackgate which takes place after Origins, but it's the best Metroidvania you haven't played. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Blackgate is is very special. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's a good choice. So I've been meaning to revisit that because mm-hmm. I had, I think I got Deadshot and then I just stopped, but I was in school at the time, so mm-hmm. um, I've been meaning to revisit it. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, that one is the best Metroidvania you have not played. I'm going to go with the first one in the series because it really uh, it didn't disappoint. And a lot of uh, games, especially uh, licensed games, tend to disappoint. For them to reinvent the, the series and really make me want to play them. So, Okay. Um, next question also comes from Daryl. He asks, Dead Island or Dying Light? Dying Light. I'm not even going to... We don't even have to put Dead Island in there. Um, I haven't played either, but I guess Dying Light. Dying light will scare the living shit out of you um, in the best way possible. Like, um, man, those there's parts of, of dying light when you're just running away as the sun is getting ready to set. And oh, man. Like, yeah. And you're parkouring it all over the place. It's just I really I, I think that game doesn't get nearly as much credit as it should. But at the same time, too, though, I mean, Dead Island is a pretty cool game, too. Um, they both they both tried to do something different but yeah if i had to pick between the two of them i would go dying light dead island what you just say dead island you've played both and you're gonna pick dead okay now here's the thing Clyde. i want to know now like i said everyone has their own opinion why do you choose dying dead island over dying light yes in in the words of the backstreet boys tell me why (laughs) so i'd like the role-playing aspects of dead island better 
and Dying Light has the worst boss fight ending to a game ever because you do the entire video game and then at the very end it's a Simon Says type of game to beat the final boss. Yeah, but if we don't let let if we take the final boss out of the game, like you can't take the final boss out of the game. That's I mean, does dying? I mean, dying light. Does the final boss really that big of a thing either? No, no, no. no sure it's kind of like it's kind of like Fallout Three in a way. Like the end of the game is is cool, but it's like the entire journey is what, what makes, makes it. Game. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like Fallout Three when everyone the the greatest thing. Oh, there's hundreds of different endings, and then you play the ending, and the only difference is like there's like things that aren't in the background that were in the background. Yep, I remember with that. Uh... All right, our next um, question comes from CJ Anderson. As a long-running, successful four-chair podcast, what advice could you give to the Loop Bros, and why would it include not doing an entire show on Batman? <laughs> Anybody. Oh, I know, I mean, because Batman can be a boring character. You should really do an entire episode on Superman. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> if anyone wants to talk about being a... Like, okay, let's just be honest. Let's just talk about Marvel characters instead of just DC. I mean, Batman's probably the most innovative superhero that DC's had. He's the only one that's gone through so many changes. And don't try to tell me Superman's gone through changes. It doesn't matter. It doesn't no, count. No, no. You can't... You can't put Superman through changes, and that's the problem with Henry Cavell doing Superman. They try to make him darker, and you just can't do that. What are you talking about? You can make him darker. That's the best part about him. The thing is, you have to remember, Superman is still an alien, and he's an orphan, and he's someone that literally saw his parents be vaporized into cosmic particles. Okay, maybe not literally saw, but knows that his parents got vaporized into cosmic particles, and then 12 billions of people died. He's someone out there who, you know, he has that darkness because, you know, he's an orphan in the middle of the universe. But he doesn't know he's an orphan until later on in life. Yeah, but but, but by the time we get to the darker parts, he's aware that his parents are dead, and his, his whole species is dead. And even, like, in the Man of Steel movie, he has to go ahead and punch people that were like him and even the colony ship and he's like you know what i have to like even in that moment with zod he's like krypton had its chance and yo it sucks my planet died it got blown up but it's had its chance and life goes and and this is my new home and that's what you got to do that's how superman rolls and then just break next all day yeah but and then even on top of that, there's the fact that he's a god. And yeah, like, it, it, even in the Suicide Squad movie, which I liked, and don't at me on that, you know, it's true. What if Superman just showed up, captured the president, and just decided to rip his head off? Who it's would almost, stop him? It's almost like it, the Suicide Squad game that's coming out. Well, you know, that's, well, that's, well, not to go off on Wild Tanya, but I'm pre-ordering that because Superman and, 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 and uh, Brainiac, there are two like weird coins of the sides of the same coin because Brainiac is an artificial intelligence whose destiny is to take all the knowledge of the universe, store it, and then destroy it. And then Superman is a left living, breathing thing. And they're just it's the logic. Like I love that in this in the animated series. But my point is is that don't don't make me wrong, Christopher Reeves will always be the best Superman, but Thank you. Reveal, I knew I'd like you for a reason, Roberto. But Henry Cavill will, is also a damn good Superman as well. I'm not going to say he's the best or better because 
without Christopher Reeves, we wouldn't have it. The same way we, without Adam West, we wouldn't have Keaton, and we wouldn't have had no uh, and, and Christian Bale and Batfleck and Patterson. You know, Patterson uh, doesn't thing, count. It's going to be awesome. But in any case, <laughs> before I turn this into a Batman podcast and Superman podcast, um, yeah, you know, I mean, I would like for there to be more dynamics to 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 Superman. What would you what would you do today if you knew that you had the powers of a god like Superman, whose only poison really was some green shard that might be a billion light years away or kryptonite and you can just do anything, really? Like, oh, uh, I can answer yeah, that actually. I can actually answer that. Just go watch The Boys. Which I okay, good. Well, I haven't seen that yet. But the point is, is it's <laughs> season also two is out yeah. now. <laughs> Humanity is very instinctively drawn to the power available on Amazon. For who gives no. a shit? <laughs> it's not open until September fourth. Not available uh, now yet. Oh, there <laughs> so we go. But in any case. But like that's the point. Storing my boys, my testicles. Of, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but like that's the, that's the thing there. Like power is a is a drawn thing, and I, I imagine Superman thinks, "Yo, what what am I doing with these peasants on this little blue marble orbiting some sun when everyone's twerking and TikToking and yik uh, yakking away?" Storing so it's like Superman. <laughs> oh, what's going on? It's fucking gr- this green rock over here. Hey, get it out of here. Get it out of here. Money now. I want the money now. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. That, that was that was awesome. I'm entertaining myself. I'm sorry. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, so that was our last question. Um, if you do like us, please subscribe and rate us. Patrick, how tell plug all your stuff. How can they get in touch with you? How can they buy your book? All right, so this is the thing. So, like, if you're a up-and-coming podcaster, voice actor, author, if you're doing anything creative, you need people to do two things in order for you to be successful. They've either got to support you monetarily or they've got to just share you. So it's like it's kind of like if somebody likes a post of yours on Twitter, that's like nothing. That does nothing, you know. But if they retweet you, what do they do? That that shares your work with like an entirely new audience, you know. So for me, um, if people share your podcast, if they re- if they hit that retweet button, if they share it, that's awesome. That's what I want. That would be like one thing that would make me super happy to share your work, to share my work. We all grow together. That's the best thing possible. However. Um, buying the book, the book is available like wherever fine books are sold. So like Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, Books a Million, Indigo, Thrift Books, like wherever fine books are sold digitally. You don't have to get COVID and go into a bookstore just for me. It's not worth it. Stay safe. Um, however, the best place to buy my book is patrickhickeyjr.com forward slash books. The reason why is because what's going to happen is this what's going to happen. You're going to click the order now button. You're going to pay. I'm going to get an email in the middle of the night. And I'm going to answer you. And I'm going to be like, oh, who are you? And I'm going to have your address. And I'm going to say, say you're from Pittsburgh. I'm going to go, oh, are you a Steelers fan? Are you a Penguins fan? And I'm going to engage you in a conversation because I want you to be a reader. I want you to be, I want to have a discourse with you. I want to have a conversation with you. So what's going to happen is we're going to have a conversation. You're going to be like, oh, I love Sidney Crosby or I love Mario Lemieux or oh, I love Franco Harris or whatever. And I'm going to put 
goodies in your book. So I'm going to, I'm going to sign your book for you. I'm going to put bookmarks in there. I'm going to put my Walter day um, trading card in there, but then I'm going to throw in like some Pittsburgh penguins trading cards. Or if you tell me that you like, like Marvel, I'll put in some like 1990 Marvel's trading cards, trading cards in there or something like that, just to establish a relationship with you, just to make the book mean something to you. So like, I'll give you guys an example. Um, I had a animator from Pixar email me and um, he's worked on Rio Horton. Here's a who um, not Pixar DreamWorks. I'm sorry. Um, and he's worked, yeah, he, yeah, he's worked on ice age Horton. Here's a who uh, the new one with Tom Holland that just came out and Will Smith or whatever. He's awesome. Oh, that was awesome. Master yeah, of the skies. Yeah. He's this guy is an amazing animator and um, he's, he has both of my books and um I found out from a friend that he's a big Denver Broncos fan. So I have like literally boxes of old football cards that aren't like really worth anything, but they're cool. You know, like 93 cards. (laughs) We're talking, we're talking like 88s, 86s and stuff like that. 86s are worth still something. I mean, I worked in a sports card store for a while, but once you get into those nineties, those 90 cards are, but it's like, it's like, this is the thing too. There's a difference between something being worth something and then somebody being willing to pay what it's worth, you know? So, so what I did was, um, he was a big Broncos fan. So I threw in like, like a 1988, like Elway and like a whole bunch of like cool Vance Johnson, whole bunch of like really cool Denver Broncos cards in there. So what I like is when people buy the book, if they like take a selfie, of themselves with a book and they send it to me. I promote them on social media. I thank them and stuff like that. So like a week goes by after I send out his book and then he emails me and he's like, you son of a bitch. I'm like, what? He's like, how did you know? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, Carl Mecklenburg was like my favorite middle linebacker for the Denver Broncos when I was a kid. And he goes, he goes, he retired in 94 and he goes, but I had Madden 2000 and the Broncos didn't have a good middle linebacker. So I used to create him and put him in the game. He goes, I can't believe that. Like I have a Carl Mecklenburg like trading card. Thank you so much for that. So I'm just like, this guy cares more about the trading card than he does the book, you know, but the cool thing was now he's going to remember that for the rest of his life, you know? So it's like, we play video games because of the memories that we create while we're playing them, you know? And I feel like great books you not only remember like the words inside the book, but you remember the person that you were the first time you read the book. And when you reread a book, you connect with the person you were the first time you read the book with the person that you are now. So I feel like if I put things inside people's books, if I write something from the heart that connects me to them, they're going to remember who they were the second that they opened up the book for the first time. And when they give that book to somebody or when they reconnect with it years later, it's going to mean something. And I feel like by doing that, it not only makes my books mean more, but it makes video game history mean more. And it's like my legacy. So if you really want to support me, buying the book directly from me is probably the best way to go. So, so patrickjr.com forward slash books. So Patrick, as a, as a hint, if Kalai does uh, order these books from you, uh, just to let you know, what she wants to have inside this book is she uh-huh. likes herself some audio tapes. Okay, she likes her audible oh. books, right? Oh, so am. probably the way to do it is because you got to remember Kalai. Um, you know, she's played a lot of classics. So what you got to do is you got to find a cassette tape, and you got to do the movie announcer voice. It's going to probably take a lot of tapes, but 
do the entire book and do it audible and put it on tapes and don't forget their side a and b and then send that with those things and i mean i think kalai will never forget the day and that would make her day take a lot of effort but i mean she does have it she she has it sitting beside her computer her little you know tape player still so i think don't worry she's upgraded from a track but you know with with kalai with kalai i would record the book on audio on cassette for her and then what i would do is i would go outside of her house wearing a trench coat and a boom and, and a boom box and stick my arms up in the sky <laughs> with, um, with your eyes playing in the background with peter gabriel playing in the background and i would voice over the book in the rain outside of her window i think i think she'd love that <laughs> oh god um Okay, if you want to get in touch with us, we're at GameStuffCast on Twitter. I'm at Kalai21, that's K-A-L-A-I, the number 21. Joe is Mr. TMNT, that's capital M-R, capital T-M-N-T-84. We have Roberto is at Jehuti88, that's J-E-H-U-T-Y-88. And Corey is at the Grounded Gamer, double D, no E. We do have a Facebook group. Just search for the GameStuff Podcast, ask for an invite, and we'll invite you. We do have a Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash proven gamer. We also have a merchandise store. Just click on uh, my notes in my show notes. You can go over and check out our hoodies, our t-shirts, and of course our mugs. Um, we are also sponsored by Amazon. Just go to provengamer.com. Do all your shopping like normal. Buy uh, Patrick's book. And it does help out us the site. And it doesn't cost you any money. We're also partnered with Humble Bundle. We support the Extra Life charity. You can click on the link in our show notes. Go over there, get some great PC games, including uh, James uh, Patrick's uh, game. The I put this, you know, I put this on my wish list so I wouldn't forget it. Yeah, the Padre. Which I, as soon as you said that, I was like looking it up. I'm gonna, I might go buy that myself. Uh, it was on sale last week. And uh, because uh, Nintendo had all the indie games on sale and it's like we got so many new players and it's like it's it's been it's been awesome that like so many because the game has been out now for over a year. So it's kind of like when a game's first when a game first comes out, like the first three months are like the hot button, you know, and then it kind of like calms down after a year. But we just got this huge influx of new players because of the price drop. So like we're super happy to have so many new. Is it is it on the eShop? Yeah, it's on the eShop. Um, and like I said, if you're if you're one of those people that grew up on like games like Alone in the Dark, um, Eternal Darkness, the original Resident Evil, you will absolutely love this game. It's like it pokes fun at like pop culture and it's uh, scary, but it's funny. And and I and I bloody talk like this throughout the entire game. Like it's so it's so much fun. Um, I also want to thank Isaac Sega who did our logo and the band Take Away the Ugly. And I want to thank you, the listeners. And of course, Patrick, thank you for joining us today. And we'll see you on the next episode of Game Stuff. Thanks for joining us, Patrick. It's been a pleasure. And uh, may the force be with you, everyone. Everyone have a good day. Stay safe. Play video games.